Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. We are back with another amazing episode. I'm excited. We have a gentleman that started back in 2014, came from the corporate world, actually just left corporate recently, which is very surprising because this monster right here literally built up from nothing to over 139 units at this point and not syndication, not doing anything crazy or anything that's a lot of people actually like build up partnerships and so forth. I'm sure he's raised Mm -hmm. money and and all these other things, but it's just him and his wife doing this, which is amazing. He's been able to scale several businesses doing it and systemizing the business. He's going to be able to show you guys right here, right now, exactly how you can implement exactly Mm -hmm. what he's willing. And so you can do it as well to reach that financial freedom that you're looking for. The podcast is all geared towards educating you, motivating you and preparing you to take action This gentleman right here is going to be able to do all three and really blessed to be able to have him on today. Oh, Justin, what's up, man? How are you? Yeah. Hey, man, I appreciate the time and the opportunity to talk with you and the crew out there. So uh, doing very well here. We're in Erie, Pennsylvania. Weather's good right before winter, and uh, we're just trying to get everything in that we possibly can. So, Of course. So I'm from the East Coast originally. I'm from New Jersey. So Pennsylvania is right there. It's like instead of New York, we always went to Philly. Um, Mm -hmm. I-80, man. (laughs) I-80 across Pennsylvania. That's right. (laughs) So for anybody out there that doesn't know who you are exactly or a little bit more about your story, do you mind just giving that view? Yeah, no problem. So born and raised in Erie, Pennsylvania. I met my wife when we were in high school, moved around a little bit. We had a baby when we were young. When I lived in Philadelphia, actually, one of our neighbors owned a manufacturing company. They manufactured like refrigerator magnets for pizza shops and sports teams and that. And I always like to talk to business about him. And he gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And this was probably about 15 years ago. And it just kind of changed my eyes and changed my mind into what business opportunity was, what real estate opportunities were, and just kind of the thought process that so many of us investors have been brought on with that foundation of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So fast forward, ended up moving here in Erie before our youngest daughter started school and just had a fascination with real estate, but never had that opportunity and preparedness. And then I met the janitor at my dad's work and he owned a whole bunch of real estate. So older guys, probably late seventies now, but came over from the war, worked for a local utility company and ended up buying a cleaning company off of his foreman. Started with his cleaning company and then just started buying properties, buying properties. He owns a whole bunch of single families. That's all he owns. So I would always ask, in Erie, he's a janitor, right, all right. So I would always ask him for the war stories, right? Give me the, uh, give me the, the landlord horror story. So, you know, we were acquaintances, we were friends, we were friendly, whatever. And then one day my wife pulled me aside right before bed and she said, hey, our friends just bought a house. Let's go see what they bought. So she pulled up Zillow and I immediately noticed like a house about a quarter of the way, about four blocks down that was like a quarter of the price. And it really opened my eyes like, oh my gosh, what is this thing? So I called Rich up the next day, my mentor, and he's like, he said, well, I'm right down the street. You want me to go knock on the door? I said, absolutely. So he went knock on the door. He goes, no one's home, but why don't you call him and set up an appointment? So called and set up an appointment. It was like the next day after work and both Rich and I walked in and it was this big monster farmhouse. And I just knew right away that it was too big of a project for me. But he pulled me aside and he said, hey, if once this closes, I'll give you a couple grand for finding it for me. 
So I went home and I remember sitting in my driveway going, I am the best bird dog in this industry. I am going to make millions. Like I stood a little taller and it was a cool experience, right? So within a couple of days, I found another one on Craigslist actually. And it was a little three bedroom, one bath, probably 1200 square foot house. And I would say a C neighborhood. And same thing, called Rich up and said, hey, what do you think about this one? And they wanted $18,000 for it. So I'm like, okay, well, that works out. And he said, well, yeah, that, that'll work out. Why don't you call and make an appointment? So called, same thing, made an appointment. Rich and I walked through and he kind of gave me the thumbs up. And that was the first one. So I'll backtrack a little bit about how we actually afforded it. So my wife and I, we bought a piece of property about 10 years ago and we had saved up some money right around the same time to build a barn and i've told this story a bunch of times but we saved up twenty-five thousand bucks so i didn't come from that no money down approach to real estate we saved twenty-five thousand bucks but we just butted heads and we couldn't agree on anything about this barn whether we should even build a barn wife? my wife and i yeah yeah i mean so like just weren't at peace type thing right but when this whole real estate Craigslist thing happened, it was like a no brainer. We were immediately on board and we rolled with it. So once Rich gave me the thumbs up, I uh, kind of told my wife, I'm like, hey, I think we're going to get this one. She was like, let's go. So I paid 18 grand. I opened up a 0% Citibank credit card at the time. And yeah, right. For 18 months and bought it. So I left closing with like, I had like probably six grand left after closing right of my cash. And I just conserved that cash and I put everything on the credit card that I could, the utilities, supplies, everything. And I saved How the cash. was the credit limit? Do you know? you remember? I want to say it was like something weird, like 18,000 bucks or something like okay. that. Uh, I guess it was 18 months. So it was probably 15,000 bucks. It was probably $15,000 credit line for 18 months, 0%. So yeah. that was pretty phenomenal, right? Yeah, yeah. So I bought that, that was in December and right around February, and it was a full remodel, like wiring, plumbing, bathroom, like, yeah, I mean, we did everything but walls, right? Even we, we did have to do some drywall skimming, but I mean, it was just nasty. So we had to do everything and it was my first one. So I was doing all the work, right? If you don't have the time, you spend the money, you don't have the money, you spend the time type thing. So February rolls around, it's in the middle of winter. There's like two feet of snow in Erie and Rich pulls me aside and he goes, you should go buy another one. I'm like, oh my gosh, Rich, I don't even know what I'm doing with this one. What do you mean go yeah. buy another one? Crazy. So I'm like, well, how do I afford it? Like, I only have a couple grand that I'm playing with this. He goes, yeah, Randy will give you the money. He's our local attorney that we all know. He just happens to be my dad's attorney, happens to be Rich's attorney. And he was the attorney that closed on the first one with me. So like, we have this little ecosystem that I fell into um, coincidentally. So I called up Randy and so actually Rich called Randy and kind of like planted the seed for me. And I called Randy up and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Rich tells me to go buy another one. I'm, can you help me? He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. So what we did is we have a common realtor here, Jake, who's a bulldog in this industry, in this local market. And he found me a foreclosure, basically that's a three bedroom, one bath. It was a little bit bigger, probably like 16 or 1700 square feet. It paid 36,000 bucks in a nicer part of town. And my attorney gave me a $50,000 loan, first mortgage position loan with an exchange for lien positions on both properties, property one and two. Nice. Follow me? Yeah. And then, so now I had two properties that were like dilapidated and under rehab and our youngest daughter was like eight months at the time. We have five kids. And you're just doing it all yourself, the rehabs. I'm doing it all my, both of them, both of them. Now Rich helped me a little bit and, and he helped me a little bit, a little bit of drywall work. And then like I, I hired the plumbing, I hired the electricians, but I was doing, I was there every single day 
I have a whole chapter of my life called Lowe's opens at 6 a.m., right? <laughs> so I was there at 6 a.m. and I'd bang out a couple hours before work. I'd steal an hour, hour and a half at lunch, and then I'd go out another two hours after work and I was home by 5, 5.30 or so every day just in time for dinner. Now I was exhausted, but I kept that schedule pretty regimented throughout my whole early career. So banged all that out. We eventually got the first one rented in uh, in June and the second one rented in like October. And so then- So how long were these remodeling taking usually? So first one was December to June. So what's that, six, seven months, right? Yeah. And then the second one was October. So nine, uh, whatever, seven months. So sure. like six, seven months at the time. Yeah. And that was with me doing basically everything I could. But then when we refinanced, my attorney allowed me to refinance both of them. He gave me a $75,000 mortgage with lien positions on both properties. So he refinanced his original 50. I walked away with a couple bucks. I paid off the credit card and had two properties, long-term debt, ready to go within less than a year. And I was like, okay, this is stable. This works. Yeah. So then... And we can kind of go into every one of them. They're all pretty unique. I mean, every time you buy a property, right? I always tell people like the acquisition is always the hardest part, right? If you could figure out how to acquire a property, yeah. the ownership and the refinancing on the back end is always the easiest part. It's yeah, the yeah. acquiring that's hard. That's part. And, that's hard, and what's right? funny about that is like, I'm glad that you mentioned that because so many people put the money on the pedestal as if like that's the toughest right. part. And you found yourself like falling into an ecosystem that kind of had a mentor, had a great realtor, a great attorney. So it all worked out very well in your unique situation. But for the average person out there, it's like, it's still way, way doable. I mean, there's so much money out there. At this point, Mm -hmm. you've raised over 5 million in private money, correct? Right, yep. um, I mean, you're doing it while you have five kids and working corporate. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's so doable. So something I really like about what you've done also is you didn't quit the job right away. You hung on to it for a long time. I want to talk about mm-hmm. that in a second, but also that you acknowledged like the compound effect of scaling by like you started off with a single family house and then you started working your way up duplex, you know, fourplex and then started right. working up the ladder here, which is really awesome. Yeah, yeah. So because my mentor, Rich, he only has single family houses, I just emulated that model, right? So I bought three single families. Then I bought my first two unit. Yep. And then I bought two more two units side by side. Then I went back to a couple single families, a couple two units. Then I bought a couple four units. And then once I started like right around that 30, 40 unit mark, I was like, wait a minute. Now I'm starting to realize like four units are kind of that gold standard where I was on the board of the apartment association. I was starting to get a big following here locally. I was like, I know there's a lot of new investors that I could easily roll four units onto mm-hmm. as house hacking, first time home buyer, the easy way of entry into this real estate game. Easy financing, and, everything. Yeah, exactly. So I went on a spree and I bought, geez, oh, like maybe two dozen of them or something like well, maybe 15 of them. Like I just went right into these four units. I have a whole portfolio. I have a whole operating account that's just four units. Now for financing all of that, it all came down to that attorney, same attorney, same process, a little so, bit of credit cards in the mix. No, 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 no. So again, I had a very well-paying corporate job and yeah. that always helps, right? Sure. So I don't know what book I read a long time ago. I don't know what it was, but I just went by the model of, I wanted to be the easiest customer to lend money to. 
right? Yeah. I wanted to be the best borrower. I wanted to be able to present myself the best way. I wanted to be a no brainer for them, for the banks to give me money. And same thing with private people, right? I wanted people to look at who I was, one character, right? Reputation yeah. and character. Yeah. Two, my business, and three, my stability, whether that was my work, social media, what, my family, whatever that was. And all of that played a critical role in setting yourself for success, right? Like if you don't think people are watching you on social media, you are wrong. And yeah. they they weigh a heavy dime on whether or not they want to do business with you. If they can monitor and watch from the sidelines, right? And just because you ask once, they say no, you're hooked, you're at least on their radar, right? And you can yep. just keep people on your page, on your radar, and then every time you ask, you know, that interest will grow. So I was always very keenly aware of that going into it. So you had asked about like, how was I affording, how was I buying these? I never put any more money in, into my portfolio besides my initial 25,000. Really? My, I was fortunate that I rolled right into an individual that would give my attorney, that would give me long-term private debt, right? So yeah. he gave me 8%, I think it was like a 20-year note with a 10-year balloon or something along those lines. So that allowed me to roll right into it. No points, no nothing. I just rolled right into it. And then I started to meet a lot of private hard money people that would do like 10%, 10 points, something like that for 12 month loans and some variation of that. And then ended up getting with another individual that gives me long-term private debt as well. So when I talk to a lot of new people and they're like, how do you buy these things? How do you? I'm like, I hate banks. I only use banks for the back end of these Burr projects, right? Sure. I think I've only used a bank for an initial purchase less than five times. That's not my business model. I'd rather raise cash, make an aggressive cash, no contingency offer yep. and get a great price, right? Yep. Or terms, price or terms, right? Yep. So I always tell new people, I'm like, you need to be focusing on two types of private lenders, right? You've got the hard money people that will do points, that will do short term, 12 months, high interest, interest yep. only, that type of stuff. That's good for Burr projects. That's good for whatever type of bridge loans, you know, whatever you, you need that 12 month money for quick, yeah. right? But then you've also got people that, you know, there's a whole level of, of affluent American out there where too much cash is actually a problem. Yeah. Right. And they need somewhere to park cash that they, they understand. Yeah. Right. And if you can, exactly. And if you can put yourself in position to be that type of borrower and yeah. solve that problem, like tap into that money because they don't want to deal with all the paperwork of turning it every six months, 12 months. They really don't care about points. They really don't care about interest. They just want something that's stable, that they can get a check every month and they understand alternative investments, right? Yeah. So those are the two I always tell people, you need short-term hard money people and you need long-term private money people and they're out there and it's networking, right? This, you know, probably best of everybody, like this is a relationship game. Yep. And the more people you know, the more the people you have in your arsenal that, that you can tap into, whether it's problem solving or raising money, the better you're going to be in this business. Yeah, that's so good. I love how you mentioned, you know, the, the terms. It's so important to realize like the difference there, like whether you're going to have just something more on the creative side or you're going to be putting down more, you know, and and, and getting, you know, just the creative side of, of financing. There's mm -hmm. so much money out there. Uh, right. You know, you can easily make a win-win situation with your neighbor, with friends, family, anybody right. within your circle and, and get them a strong return. Right. Um, Real estate's a very sexy business. And once people <laughs> understand that you're in it, like people naturally attracted to what's the story? How'd you do it? What are you yeah. doing? Right. Like it's a cool business to be in for sure. 
That's good. All right, let's talk about the leads. How are you actually acquiring these right. deals? So lead generation, right? That yeah. seems to be everybody's Achilles heel, right? And that's sure. something that I certainly uh, struggle with. Like in the very beginning, I found the first ones on Craigslist, MLS through a realtor, and then just word of mouth. I've put ads in newspapers. Um, yeah. I just, I network and I network and I network. And I just, I'm very active on Facebook and social media. I own a private property management company. So, you know, I try to be a problem solver and I just want to solve people's problems. And if I can be the first person that somebody thinks of, that's my goal, right? Like Grant Cardone says, if people don't know who you are, that's your problem. Yeah. Right. And I take that to heart. Like I have a very strong brand here locally, both personally and with my business. And I take that very seriously. And my obligation is to be a solid local operator. So it's just network, right? I find stuff on MLS. I've got a great realtor, Jake, who I've been committed to. He's made me a lot of money. I've made certainly made him a lot of money. And uh, you know, he'll give me pre-market deals. I'll find stuff and I'll send him on there. I'm like, hey, find out who owns this house, see if they'll sell. Like we've done that a couple dozen times. I've had some great referrals from some of my friends that are uh, insurance agents. My mentor, Rich, has referred a couple people to me. You know, if you can get an off-market deal, that's always going to be the best. Here's a tip for you. So. Jake set me up on a bunch of like automated, every realtor can do this, automated MLS searches, right? Well, I went and I had him set me up on a 300 day on market report for my couple zip codes that I have. Because anything that hits the market, if I don't know about it before it hits the market, I'm not interested until something's wrong or it's stale or it's old. So once I get that 300 days on market, that's the mark. That's the report I really dig into because sure. those are the ones that are going to be motivated that, you know, that have multiple price reductions, something's wrong, you know, whatever the story is, they're more susceptible to accepting a lower aggressive cash offer, which is what I like to make. And there's always a story. So that's the key right there. It's like figure out what right. the story is and solve mm-hmm. the problem. Right. Exactly. Yep. I would agree. I want to ask you about putting ads in the paper. Has that been profitable for you? I mean, uh, I've, I've got I've got a deal from it. I've got you know, it produces, but a lot of it. You know what? I, I was actually just talking to somebody about this this morning. I get a lot of older landlords, older investors that have yeah. held on to their properties for twenty years too long. And, and they, still, they still hang on to the newspaper and they still read it. Right, so, which, yeah. is, which is I know my target demographic and yeah. even like my wholesale buddies, like their whole um, script is like, I'm a real estate investor. I need to buy it for a discount so I can make a profit. And like these guys just don't want to hear that. You yeah. know, so honestly, so you got to switch up honestly, your pitch when it comes down to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that hasn't actually been the most fruitful thing. It's been driving for dollars in my network that have been the biggest lead generating things for me. Okay. For sure. So, by far. Yeah. I mean, so where we first originally started off, I live in San Diego, but we started off in, over in Ohio building out our mm-hmm. portfolio. And I'm a big advocate of networking and mm-hmm. utilizing other people to fulfill what you're looking to accomplish, right? Like we didn't pay for anything. We literally just networked with everybody and anybody that we could, told them what we were looking for and had the lead start coming in. Right. Um, driving for dollars is another great technique. Any feedback on like, what does the next step look like? Say somebody's brand new, they tell everybody and their grandmother, hey, these are the deals that we want, or they start driving for dollars, they see a property, they go yeah. door knock, then what? Yeah, I mean, honestly, even before that even happens, yeah. I think yeah. that you need to, one, get a mentor, you need somebody you can call 100 times a day, right? 
whether you got to pay for it or not you need yeah. somebody like that and two I never did the wholesaling thing. That was never my business model. I was always a buy and hold. I was always a renovator, value add guy. And I think I did that because I was uber confident in my refinancing capabilities. Yeah. Right? I always knew I was I always knew that I had a strong exit strategy where I could easily refinance because I was so bankable. Like some of my wholesale buddies, they're not bankable for whatever reason. 1099, they're gig economy, right? 1099 income, they have credit shot. They're, they're, high debt income. Yeah, they're just, just starting off like whatever. So the wholesaling business model is a great way to get involved in real estate. And before that, it was called bird dogging, right? Kind of the same yeah, thing. But like I would recommend from a beginner to answer your question, I would really recommend getting a mentor and figuring out what your long-term play is. Because buying the stuff like we talked about, there's so much money out there that you can attract money to buy a property. But if you can't refinance it successfully, you're gonna be in a world of hurt. And you've gotta figure out your exit. And maybe that requires you talking to a couple bankers or sure. you know, opening bank accounts. I On my website, I've got a blog that talks about like, how do you create strong banking relationships? And it's all about that. Like, take a couple hundred bucks, go deposit it, and a few of your local banks, your credit unions, whatever that is, never use the drive-through. Go in, make relationships, right? Yep. Have those guys know exactly what you, who you are and what you're trying to accomplish, right? So, because that's exactly the relationship that's going to help you solidify your business model. So once you figure that out and you can actually start going to find deals and buy and hold deals that you want, then, you know, Go on Zillow or go on a local Facebook group. Every community's got a local Facebook real estate investors group and find out who the top performing real estate agents are, right? Get on their radar, take them out to lunch, go to their office. They're probably not gonna go out to lunch with you because they're busy. But if you go to them, right? Go to them, make it five minutes, make it easy. Just introduce yourself, get on their radar, right? Have them know who you are, tell them what you're looking for, and then just check in every once in a while, right? You've gotta build rapport. Productive people are busy people. And they're not going to drop what they're doing for somebody who's who doesn't have credibility and doesn't bring anything to the table. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's too many takers in the world and not enough givers in the world. So you've got to be able to do the homework and almost feed them. Like even Jake, like he's a rock star and we've done, I can't even tell you how many deals together. And I still feed him leads. Jake, yeah. find out this, find out this, find out this, right? Because I know he's dealing with a hundred of me right out there, but I know he's committed to me and he gives me deals and he's going hundred miles an hour and I can feed him. I can put him on a couple projects, then so be it. So it's networking, man, for sure. So, so when it comes down to, and feel free, you know, I'm throwing you under, under the bus right now. So feel no, you're free fine. To me off, but when it comes down to just relating, do you mind like sharing when you were working, what the annual income was? There's many different things to like qualify and make yourself bankable, right? It's not just an annual income tax right, returns. Right, right. It's almost totally irrelevant as well if you have high debt to income ratio. If, if right. everything so, that you make, you're balling out and all these other Yeah, things. that's a good question. And a lot of people don't ask that question. You know, my dad taught me strong personal finance skills yeah. from when I was little. I still use his bank book checking method, balancing checkbook. Now I, I have it on Excel, but it's yeah. the same exact method and it just works flawlessly. And, uh, you know, I've always been responsible with credit and debt and, uh, again like what makes you a strong borrower and then just reverse engineer okay you, 
You can't have high credit card debt. You can't be over leveraged with vehicles. You can't be, you know, paying too much for your house. Like whatever, you just have to live within your means to most to most extent. Now, like my wife and I, we have five kids when I started this. So we were broke, right? We were, yeah. we, we, we had no money. That. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we had no money. I can't even tell you like how we saved money for the barn, how we bought our first house. Like I look back and it's like a blur on how all that happened, but f like we saved 25 grand and that's how we started. So by the time I was rolling, I mean, I was making over, over 70 grand a year. I was getting bonuses on top of that. I had been at my job for 10 plus years. I owned my own house. We didn't have big credit card debt. We didn't have car loans. Like even now, the only debt, personal debt we have is our personal mortgage and we have a, a van payment, a car payment, my wife's two student loans that were that Sally Mae has moved in with us on. So but besides that, like everything else is business debt. So we are very, very cautious and we're strong defenders of our personal debt for sure. Yeah, personal income, I should say. It's so good. So guys, you can relate to that in so many different ways. If you're trying to disqualify yourself and say like, this isn't possible, it's so doable. And you can start off with like simply getting your finances together, balancing the income and debt ratio, paying, you know, your taxes right. and, you know, saving something away, even if it's just a little bit. I initially first started and I was working in the restaurant industry and on paper, I was making, I think around like $40,000 a year, you know, right. on paper. I ended up saving up 35000 Like you would naturally think that doesn't go that far. That allowed me to pick up one property and then a second property two months later, a single family and then a triplex. And then I utilized credit just like you guys did to be able to get to that next level and start, you know, compounding it. So it's so, so doable. It just, you got to get resourceful, creative and have mm -hmm. that foundation kind of set up, make sure you're bankable. Right, let me ask you if you don't mind, ask you like you just said about using credit to get your, like when you use credit, were those bank loans or what kind of credit was that? Cause I know you deal with some unique credit card uh, stuff too. Yeah, yeah, so credit cards. My very first one that I used on my first two properties, I used a Bank of America cash rewards credit card. I ended okay. up getting that credit limit up to 63,000 at that wow. time. Wow. Yeah. And then, so I used it for the renovation on both and, and then was able to cash out refinance, had no money into either of them. And they both cash flow very well and just started compounding that we've purchased properties with credit cards afterwards, you know, okay. and all at 0% interest. We've done all the hard nice. lending with credit. So nice. when there's a will, there's a way, you know, sure. and, and you don't need to put the money on the pedestal or, even in this tough market that we're in, there's so many people that are on the sidelines that aren't taking action mm -hmm. and making themselves resourceful with the people like you have with everybody mm -hmm. in the neighborhood and the realtors sending you all these leads. So, so kudos to you, brother. I, I really love what you've accomplished in just a short amount of time. At the yeah, end of the day, yeah, yeah. what, six, seven years? It's like, that's such a, such a short amount of time to build up from zero to 139 doors. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. And I look back and I'm like, boy, I don't even know how the heck I was able to accomplish all that. You know, like when I left my job March 1st, it yeah. was like, okay, I mean, I probably should have left a little bit before that, but you know, it was a great job. I have zero to complain about. I got paid well. They, I, it was a great work environment. 
Um, I have zero to complain about, about my job, but I look at it now. I'm like, wow, all this time, right. To be able to go back and, you know, take your kids to school or like go and help run errands or, you know, one of my big whys, right. Everybody talks about what was your why was to get my son into a travel hockey team. So I, um, left my job, spring tryouts came and he made that team and we signed up immediately. So, you know, just to be able to like take Fridays and Mondays off and not having to ask for it. Right crap like that you know and now that i'm here now it's like okay now now what's the next why well now it's like how do i spend more time with my seven-year-old daughter right like yeah. how can we do cool experiences as a family because time is the greatest commodity right i love it yeah, yeah. it's so powerful yeah, yeah. it really is that's like the true definition of freedom like why you're doing it now you can spend the time whenever with whoever anytime you want um, right. to do the things that you enjoy doing and not have like any restrictions on you which is awesome do you mind right. sharing? Is it too much to ask like that you're roughly passive income at this point on a monthly basis? So I, I know you have the property management. I know you have some other yeah. stuff like that. So So you're saying as like not that as stuff. like like globally then? As far as just the rental portfolio. So the portfolio produces like probably around eighty grand a month right now. Yeah. Gross. Gross. Yeah. Love so it. minus all the crap and however you hide money and trade you know, take money out of the left pocket and feed right pocket. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's about 80 grand a month. So love it. So you also yeah. do some Airbnbs. You have about 10 Airbnbs yeah. right now. You have yes, a, we do. a yeah. very cool niche that kind of stands yeah. out. You, you mind diving into that? Yeah, no. So that's actually, I love that part of my business because it's very, very unique and it create a really niche problem for people. So I always got asked, do you have any short-term rentals? I just need something for a couple months. I, I'm, I'm here on contract and I kept saying, no, 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 buy and hold, buy and hold, traditional rental, traditional rental, right? I don't know. Well, finally- Is it like um, gas line workers in that area? Uh, no, not gas line, but it's like a lot of medical professionals. We've got okay. three major hospitals. Uh, we've got GEs here, so it's now WabTech, but we've got like GE contract workers, sure. that type of stuff. So about three and a half years ago, one of my carpenters called me up and he worked for a local, like a mental health transitional housing company. And he goes, hey, we're getting ready to sell this building on Peach Street. You should buy it. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he gave me the code. It was pre-market, wasn't on the market. It went up there and I walked around and it's just, I'm actually, I'm in this building right now. But it's this big, beautiful brick building right on a main thoroughfare, right leading to the downtown artery. And I was like, man, this is this is a great building. But it's like a six bedroom, three bath, huge. I think this thing is like 2,800 square feet, monster building. So it would be a horrible traditional rental. And I didn't know what to do with it. But I was like, ah, oh, man, it's probably going to go for like 100 grand, maybe 115, maybe 130. Got it for 80,000 bucks. So I borrowed 100,000 from a private lender long term. And I did windows, did some electrical, did some plumbing. And I had somebody ask me. So, and then I, put, I, I bought one of those big, nice, I had a sign made for lease, stone house management. And I set it out there. I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'll lease it to an attorney or a doctor or somebody. And it'll, it'll, somebody will take it in a heartbeat. Well, like three or four months went by and no leads, zero leads. And I was facing winter. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this yeah. monster thing? Right. So I had, yeah. yeah, approaching winter. So I had a GE contract guy from India give me a call looking for an apartment. He goes, I just need something. I'm here for a six month contract. I need one bedroom. So I'm like, I don't have any one bedroom. I said, but I've got this unique building that I would be happy to rent you a room at. So I rented him a room unfurnished for 400 bucks a month. And I had to pay water, sewer, garbage, gas, electric, internet, snow plowing, like over $400 a month in BS, right? 
But I'm like, okay, well, this works. So then a couple months went by. I got busy with one of my other projects, and I still had money from that hundred grand. So I wasn't feeling the pinch to really harp on this property so much. But about like February rolls around, I'm like, okay, I've got to do something with yeah. this. So I rented another room for four. I know. So I rented another room for four hundred bucks, unfurnished. I mean, I didn't even have like table and chairs in the dining room. Nothing in the living room. It was literally an empty building with. Two functional bathrooms and a functional kitchen and a couple doors that he walked in and out and stayed in his room on a blow-up mattress. So I rented another room for 400 bucks. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to furnish one of these rooms, lightly furnished, like a frame, box spring mattress, dresser. Yeah, like a local furniture store. I think like 600 or 700 bucks I got everything I got everything for and rented it for like 450 or 500. I'm like, all right, well, that kind of works. So then I rented another one of the rooms furnished for 500. I'm like, okay, now I've got a model here. Now I've got a business model that is proving itself, right? Yeah. So then I furnished the other bedrooms, got that work. When the other guys ended up moving out, I furnished those, bumped those up. So I had like five rooms creating 500 bucks a month each in this big building. Now I was paying a lot of the utilities. So how many like rooms? Units, rooms, right. So it actually ended up being in my municipality. I had to license it as a rooming house. So it was five rooms total. So in our that's, local- that, that's like a key component right there. Like you really want to look into your local area, the municipality yeah, sure. of like, yeah, for sure. because every location is going to be slightly different, but I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I got it all rented, right. Furnished. I went to the bank. I went to a local bank that I did some business with and I didn't call it a short term rental. I call it a furnished rental. Right. <laughs> so they, uh, important words. Here yeah. Use, don't people. ever say Airbnb. Don't ever say short term. Don't ever say any of that. Right. Don't it, look, it is more profitable. The banks get really tight. Yeah, about this. exactly. So got this one refinanced fast forward about a year and a half. My wife and I were leaving church and I found this another brick colonial that was like right around the corner, paid 80 grand for that one. And that's four rooms, two private suites and two shared, two bedrooms that share a bath and same gig, set it up. So now I've got nine Airbnbs that are like for individuals only, some private suites, some bedrooms that share a bathroom, but they're booked almost constantly. I have very, very low vacancy rates on these two buildings. And then just recently, beginning of this year, I brought a two bedroom apartment online as an Airbnb directly across the street from one of the local hospitals. And this is an apartment that I was getting 600. I mean, it's nice. I was getting like 600, maybe 650 a month. I threw it on Airbnb. Now I'm averaging like right around 1600 a month. So it's a significant difference. Even though you're paying all the utilities, it's a significant difference. And you know what? It's generally better clients. Here's a tip for your listeners who are into Airbnbs, and we can have a whole nother discussion about this because I, I love this business model, but I set my minimum stays for seven nights on Airbnb because I don't want that weekend warrior traveler. Yeah, you don't want that party. You don't want exactly. that. Exactly. Nope. And then I also, here's another tip. I don't provide linens, toiletries, or pillows. Ow. So I've eliminated 100% of the linen aspect to my yeah. business, my Airbnb business, because I always have long-term people here, right? A month, two months, six months. They're fine spending 100, 200 bucks at Target or Bed Bath & Beyond and getting a bed in a bag that's going to be theirs. That's, you know, that, that, yeah. that they know that no one else has slept on and they can take with them or they can leave them. I've had people leave them in the rooms too. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's a fantastic business model. Now, I don't need to charge as much. 
yeah. which makes my listings even more appealing to that type of worker because yeah. they don't care about the fancy decorations. They don't, don't care about don't. what's available. They just want a cheap place to live so they can bank cash and yeah. move out yeah. and, at the end of their contract. Yeah, and that's so important, and I'm glad that you mentioned it. It's really knowing the avatar, right? Like knowing mm-hmm. the ideal person that's going to be there. You don't want the right. weekend warrior trash in your place. You don't want it super fancy because then you're going to get complaints or certain little things like that. You're giving right. them the bare minimum, but you're also attracting somebody that's coming in and staying for a certain period of time that's there to work. They don't need right. anything fancy. They're probably working long hours. They just need a clean area that they can lay down. Exactly. Yeah. And if they go and buy their own, you know, little couple things, and it's like they know it's clean, it's all good to go. So yeah, and I and I have not had I have not had any kickback in my Airbnb listings. I actually say that I don't provide yeah. linens, toiletries, or pillows, and then I don't do instant book because I always want to reconfirm that detail because it's so unique, I always reconfirm it. I always say something like, thanks for the inquiry, these dates work for us. I always like to reconfirm the ad that we don't provide linens, toiletries, and pillows. If that's acceptable, let me know and I'll gladly complete the reservation. And I just copy and paste that. And I've never had one person bite. Yeah, Yeah. it's a huge tip. Do you have a cleaning crew or cleaning yep. service that I, handle afterwards? Yeah, I do. And I just, I email her like every Monday or Tuesday or whatever with an updated schedule. Yeah. Now I know that you can do like uh, teams and you can have login, but these ladies, they're not technology savvy. And once a week email is fine for me. I will say one of the biggest game changers was when Airbnb came out with automated messages. Holy smokes, is that a game changer? Because literally my Airbnb business is completely automated besides coordinating that once a week email to my tenants or to my cleaners, accepting bookings, right? I have to have that little bit of a dialogue that they're okay with that arrangement. And then doing the move-ins, move-outs through Appfolio. We use Appfolio for for our traditional rentals. And just to keep all the finances together, I actually did a video on my YouTube channel about how I incorporate Airbnb and Appfolio, a little bit of a hack, but it's that's that's really it. So it's pretty automated. And I have the maintenance through my property management company and I have the garbage collection through my property management company. So it's as automated as I feel like I could possibly get it at this point. Yeah, I truly believe like for us at least, our like secret ingredient with Airbnbs are truly like the cleaning team. Like mm. if you really have an amazing cleaning team and uh, then a lot of things can be systemized and just yeah. a, a lot less off your back. Besides that, everything else that you mentioned is like, those are the key points. You don't want the instant uh, bookings. You want to like clarify and verify with them. Yeah. So it's really good I, stuff. I will say though, I've got yeah. a really good friend who has, he only has two Airbnbs. He bought a two unit years ago, nice part of town. He fixed it up and he lives, he owns that building and the building next door and the building next door, he has a tenant that is his cleaning and maintenance person. And almost the exact opposite of my model and what you just said was he does one night minimums. He does Airbnb price correction. So he sets the price of whatever Airbnb want, smart pricing, right? He does instant book and his success story is that he believes because he lets Airbnb control everything and he has this cleaning guy on a team so he can see yeah. the calendar. Yep. He says that that's his biggest secret to success is that he just lets Airbnb handle the whole thing. And yeah. it's the automated part in the back end that he's seen a lot of success with. That's so powerful. So yeah. what does the future look like for you? I mean, you are well on track to doing some ridiculous things. You're already doing huge things right now, but yeah. do you plan on picking up more Airbnb, just spending more time with the family? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I did, you and I were talking a little bit before the start. I just came back from a pretty big uh, mastermind retreat last week. And like I told those guys, like I'm in this little Cinderella phase where I just left my job in March 1st and business is good. It's stable, but I've afforded myself the luxury of like, what should my business look like? What could my business look like? And what really do I want to do? So it's a lot of stabilizing. It's a lot of like pivoting into like, I've got a coaching program. I've got some joint ventures that I'm pursuing. We've got a construction company that I'm going to be focusing on. I got some digital products that I'm going to be working on. So just really pursuing additional lines of revenue, I think is going to be what I need to focus on end of this quarter and first quarter into 2022. So that's pretty much what I'm going to be looking at. If I could pick up more deals, then that's fine. So I just bought a big 17 unit uh, the end of August that we've been converting over and working on. So got a couple other feelers out there for properties and complexes, but nothing, nothing big, no big syndications. I got a flip that I have an offer on, you know, but yeah. So raising money, finding deals and improving efficiencies are the three biggest things that you got to be focused on. Love it. So a couple other small little questions here before I should have asked earlier, but when it comes down to the cash out refinance part, cause you're doing the burst strategy on basically yeah. everything. I know you're using a lot of long-term private money. Uh, right, interest yeah. rates are significantly high. I mean, you know, they're around 8%. Um, 8%, yep. And the numbers still work out, obviously, but... Of course, yeah, yeah. Do you have any ambition or, like, looking to get those lower or do, like, traditional... Of course, yeah. Yeah, but again, too, like, I'm very well aware of... I may be a pawn in their personal finance game. So if my business allows me to make money and allows them to make money, it's all tenant money anyway. So I'm okay allowing them to make a couple bucks. And then I've already refinanced a bunch of my stuff. So I'll go a couple years, three, four, five years. I have 10 year balloons on a lot of this stuff anyway. So I know like I'm going to be pushing, I'll be refinancing within 10 years anyway. They would allow me to refinance. That's not a problem. But as far as rolling into long-term debt, like, and we can kind of get into this a little bit, but like when you buy a property and I was talking to one of my wholesalers right before this phone call, actually, who's looking at buying a property. um, If you have long-term debt that you can acquire with, you should use that to either buy turnkey properties or allow have them allow you to over leverage and over borrow to cover all the renovation prices, right? Oh, yeah. Because once you acquire the property, if it's in long-term debt, it's really hard to borrow more to improve that property without taking money out of your pocket. Yeah. So that's why I don't like banks. I'd rather use hard money to buy something at you know 70% of the dollar, over borrow and come out to a burr project that's like 70, 80% loan to value at the back end, right? So if you can stagger your money that way and know going into it, like what product matches what gold criteria and how you play that game, you're gonna be better off. But yeah, it can be a little the banks weird. To back. Yeah, it can be a little weird if you're using like a traditional bank upfront when you plan on doing this big project and then afterwards having to do another cash out refinance with that bank. Exactly. Again. Right, exactly. Like, like, for instance, I just refinanced two properties, which was my first big litmus test after I left my job. Right. When I left my job, I had I had three short term balloons that were approaching. I had two this year and one that expires next year. And I was really nervous because. Up until this point, it was because I had strong W-2 income that made it so easy to borrow money. So I submitted these two properties, both Burr projects, right? Bottom with a private money lender, overborrowed, improved. I had them rented for a couple months, left my job, and I was like, okay, I've got to submit the application to get these started. 
and ended up, you know, the underwriting took a little bit longer than normal, but I got them refinanced yep. and right into long-term bank debt. It was a commercial loan, but right into long-term bank debt and paid off my private lender on those two balloons. And it was, it worked out beautifully. So because of that, now I was back in the market buying things, right? But for, for a period of time, like when I knew I was going to leave my job and then right after I left my job, I didn't buy anything because I wasn't confident in my exit strategy. Yeah. The cool Unless part I was buying the cool part is like knowing once you have enough on your portfolio and it does produce and typically if you hang on to it for about two years or longer, then you should be able to start, you know, actually showing the banks and start qualifying. Although, like you said, it will take longer. It's going to be yeah. a little bit more of a pain in the ass when it comes down to underwriting, but it's still doable. So, yeah, so that's, a double that's a double edged sword, though, because we pay our CPAs to reduce our income but then we expect banks to lend us money on the income that we are producing. Yeah, so, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? I've gotten tripped up on that a couple times. So, you know, I've scaled back the aggressiveness of my tax-free income just because I know that now I'm only rolling on my portfolio, so. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we've had to do that for the last two years and it, it's been heartbreaking not taking advantage of like all the full write-offs you can. Right, um, right. But, Break your heart. You're like, I know better. I'm smart yeah, enough. We got, this. we got to pay Uncle Sam a couple hundred thousand <laughs> so that we can actually like qualify for right. you know, several mortgages out here in San Diego that are million plus. Right. But if we can cash out refinance, have no money into it and get paid out a couple hundred thousand or exactly or Airbnb, it produces a couple hundred thousand and yeah. appreciation out here. So it's like, you really just got to weigh, weigh the difference. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. I would agree. Calculated risk, but mm -hmm. I love it. and that's our job as investors, right? We that's yeah. that's our responsibility is to know what uh, what path to throw these deals down. So yeah, that's so good. Well, Justin, man, I appreciate your time so much. Um, yeah, man. How can the listeners get a hold of you? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm very active on Facebook, uh, Justin Coratory. I've got a personal page, I've got a business page. Uh, we're rolling out some new, uh, some new stuff on the digital content and the coaching. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a cool uh, couple months here for sure. So I appreciate you asking. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, I love it. Uh, nothing but great content from you as always. You just gave an hour of your time. Is there anything that myself or the listeners could do to give back to you? No, man, just show the love. Come on over, introduce yourself on my page. And if there's any way I can help you or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always tapped into the different Facebook groups and I'm out there. So I'm pretty active and I love the interaction. So love it. Cool. Well, you guys heard it here first. Definitely reach out to Justin. He's an amazing dude. Really just super, just like what we stand for, for Ready, Set, Go Real Estate Investing. Really just educating you, motivating you and preparing you to take action in real estate is what he's all about. So I know you guys got that here first and foremost, but make sure you rewind this, take some more notes. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can always do so at Brandon Elliott Investments on Instagram. Otherwise, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. Also, if you're looking for credit repair done for you services, it would be creditrepairmobile.com. And then if you're looking to get educated, on basically the four steps of how we look at credit in our mastermind group. It's educate, fix, build, and leverage. We can show you how to fix your credit quickly, build up several six figures, even seven figures in funding, and then put it to work in real estate or anything, you know, e-commerce, Airbnb, hard money lending, purchasing properties with real estate, with credit, you know, you name it, starting your business. Check out creditcounselelite.com. That's creditcounselelite.com. You can check out to see if you qualify. 
And yeah, make sure you hit that subscribe button for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast so you get the newest notification every single Monday when the new one drops. Appreciate all the love as always. Hit that subscribe button, leave a review, and let us know how you guys feel about it. Justin, appreciate you so much, brother. We will catch you on the next one. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. 